Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitton. This podcast is sponsored by RedArmyBet.com. Check our website out for the latest odds and offers. We've got a special guest today, which is Tony Coton, the former goalkeeper with a huge number of games, well over 500 games in the Football League and the Premier League for Birmingham City, Hereford United, Watford, Manchester City, Manchester United played at, Sunderland, and he also played for England B. Tony is from Tamworth originally, but he lives in the northwest now. And he's currently Aston Villa's head of recruitment. And we've got him on the podcast because, as United We Stand readers may have seen, he's done a book, he's done his autobiography, There to be Shot At. There's some brilliant stories in there about Manchester United, about his life as a goalkeeper. And it covers some pretty heavy subjects as well, like depression, but... He's had a, he had a really, really good good career. And I can remember Tony signing in 96, and he'll correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, as we sit in Birch Services on the M62, <laughs> before him going up to watch uh, Sunderland against Bristol City and me going to watch Manchester United uh, to Tottenham. I think he was the only signing in the double-winning season in 96. 500,000, Tony, is that right? Um I think it was uh, I think it was four hundred thousand, Andy. To be honest, um, you know, and um, I stand corrected as well because I don't know whether I was the only signing. I think I was the only signing in the uh, in January when I made the move. Um, you know, so um, yeah, so um, I think all your facts that you've just said were correct. Um, so you've done apart, a book. Apart from sorry, apart from Merriford, I only played in the reserves at Merriford, okay. like Man United. Um, but uh, yeah, I've done a book. I've um, was released on the 21st of September. Sales have gone really, really well. Um, you know, taking me by surprise, to be honest. Um, you know, I've helped a, a journalist friend out who, who you know as well, called Simon. Si- yeah, it's called Simon Mullock. Simon Mullock is a City fan, but we don't mind him. We'll give him a, a pass on that because he's a good lad, Simon, and he's a decent footballer in his day, and he's a bit of a non-league addict as well. But I've got a lot of time for Simon. Yeah, so, um, you know, Simon approached me a number of years ago at um, a mutual friend's party, and I said no, and then they've, they've been badgering me and badgering me and badgering me, and I finally caved in. Um, you know, and it's been, a, it's been a, an experience, and it's, it's brought back some really, really happy memories, but it's brought some sad memories back doing the book, which, which of course, when you're telling the truth, um, would happen. So we'll talk a little bit about your, your early career. I mean, Birmingham City was your, your breakthrough team. Yeah. What was life like there? Um, well, I'd had, um, as I say, if I if I keep mentioning the book, then I'm I'm, I'm only telling you extracts that are in it. Um, you know, and I talk about my life and how I got into football. So I'd um, I'd left Aston Villa and I was playing um, non-league football when I was asked to go down for a trial, uh, and Birmingham was the team I supported as a boy. So for me, it was a dream, and um, you know I'd had rejection uh, uh, from Wolverhampton Wanderers when I was a schoolboy, and then I had a sort of semi-rejection from Aston Villa. Uh, and I say semi is because I ended up walking out of them after an altercation in the in the uh, in the digs. But um, you know, so I weren't going to let this chance uh, slip by, especially with the team that I supported, and um, went through the normal trial periods. Um, you know, and then I, I was I was given a pro contract at 17. Uh, all the usual, out with the jobs, 
uh, with the apprentices, this, that and the other. Then I was released. Then I was reinstated because I, I'd gone on the end of season tour and done really well and Jim Smith thought I'd made a mistake. So I got re-signed uh, not long after Jim Smith was sacked. Ron Saunders come in and um, I'd already made my debut and made it at a handful of games but um, it was Ron Saunders that really put me in the team on a regular basis. An altercation in digs. A previous guest on this podcast was John Gidman, who was at Aston Villa. And he had to leave his digs <laughs> because he was sleeping with his landlady. And John tells some brilliant stories. In fact, John's stories are so scandalous, he had to leave half of them out. But I spoke uh, well, to John last week. He's down in living on the Costa del Sol soon, still. And Mick Rathbone was at Birmingham City. He did a, a really good book called The Smell of Football. And he said he broke into Birmingham's first team but he, he was sat next to his hero, Trevor Francis, and he was completely in awe of him, to yeah. the point that you know, he was nervous about passing him the ball. Well, it, well, listen, obviously I know both of those well. Um, and just going back to Giddy, um, you know, I didn't have an altercation in my days over my <laughs> landlady. If you'd, if you'd have seen my landlady at the time, then uh, you'd <laughs> explain why. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, Mick Rathbone, I used to share, in the book, uh, I talk about sharing a car with Mick Rathbone and him and Steve Fox, who, whose mum and dad's house backed onto my mum and dad's house in Tamworth, and who was really responsible for me following, follow, going into football and wanting to be a footballer because I'd followed his path through junior football, the same schools, uh, and obviously when I went on the terrace and seen Steve Fox uh, playing for the first team, I, uh, that's what I wanted. But uh, the experiences of um, Mickey Rathbone, like you say, um, what inspired me really, I'd be sat in the back of mini, uh, this mini clubman that Mick would be driving, that he never ever locked, left the keys in the ignition when we went on away games, hoping that it would be nicked, but it never was. Um, you know, uh, of those not having confidence in their own ability, and I thought, I, I could never ever be like that. You know, if you want to strive to be a top professional, you've got to have confidence in your own ability. Those two would, would, would be talking about. I hope I'm not with the first team this morning. I hope I'm not training, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and if we had a practice match, because one was a right winger, one was a left back, they'd say, well, you have a good first half and I'll have a good, better second half. I'll get the better of you. you know, we'll, both, we'll both stand out. And, and it was like that. And it's, yeah. I couldn't believe I was listening to these conversations. And then one day we were going down the dual carriageway and I'm sat at the back and my... The right-hand side, the driver's side at the back dropped down and the next minute his, his wheel's overtaken us, you know, and his wheel's gone, <laughs> his wheel's gone bombing down. We've, we've sort of grind to a halt and he went, oh, well, I won't tell you what he said, but um, uh, what am I going to do now? Anyway, we just got out, left the car, uh, thumbed a lift, got to training. Three days later, I've gone past and his car was still there. <laughs> his car was still there, but... That was Mickey Rathbone, he's a character, and as I say, what a, what a good book that was. The book's called The Smell of Football, and, and Mick's agreed to come on this podcast, so I should catch up with him sooner rather than later. And he's not played at United, but he has had a lot of connections with United. But He left um, Birmingham City, went to Blackburn Rovers, broke into the first team. For the first time in his life, was thinking, I am the man. So he'd go and celebrate after each training session with four or five pints. Then he'd play a bit of snooker. Then he'd have a little sleep, then he'd go back to the pub for another three or four pints and then he'd finish off the day. This was every day by going to the chippy and having pudding chips, peas, gravy and a balm cake. After six weeks he was wondering why he'd been dropped from the first team. Yeah, uh, I don't think we had dietitians in them days, you know. Um, um, yeah, it was, um, 
listen, it was it was commonplace. There was uh, in the uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, even into early nineties, really. You know, sports science hadn't even been introduced. Um, you know, I mean, I, I was at Man City in the first team, and we hadn't got a gym. You know, so um, let alone a masseur or anything like that. You had one physio that did it, did everything. You know, so um, you know, yes, certainly, certainly not. Um, you know, I, I even remember at Watford, uh, we used to finish training when I was at, at Watford, and there'd be four or five of us: Tim Sherwood, Ewan Roberts, um, myself. Um, you know, and, and we'd we'd go into uh, into the local cafe after training. You know, and I always remember because Tim used to order the same thing: corned beef, chips, and egg. You know, that was we were in the the first division, the Premier League, as it is now. You know, and we're having corned beef, chips, and egg. I mean, if if we were to do that now, you you know, you'd get frowned upon. Um, you know, but that was that was the way it was, and I can understand Mick. You know, he might have slightly exaggerated with the four pints. I've seen him with four pints in him. <laughs> you you mentioned Watford then. I saw a picture of you on Twitter when I was researching this with Watford fans you seem extremely popular among Watford fans what was your high point in your time at, at Vicarage Road uh, well obviously winning the player of the year three times being inducted into their Hall of Fame second behind there's only one person that we could you know if there's any going to be behind anyone it was Luther Blissett because he is Mr Watford um, you know so to be inducted second was a, a major major privilege to me you know, I had six wonderful years there. Um, so, much, so the highlight really. There were some low points. Missing the semi-final with a broken thumb, broke that the day before in training. Um, but the high points really was, I suppose, if, is I felt that it was probably the best, the best time of my career in terms of playing-wise. And I was there for 24 to 30 years of age. Um, and um, I think well, the Watford fans saw the best of Tony Coton. Um, you know, I feel that that, that was my best time. Um, there was a lot of a lot of high points. You know, Graham got me away in 1984 from the the environment I was in. I'd been a, in a couple of scrapes off the field, so it was. Um, you know, it was a what type of scrapes? Well, I'd had a couple of barroom balls and uh, uh, brawls, sorry, uh, balls, did I say that? <laughs> brawls, um, you know, never, ever, ever caused a fight in my life, never looked for trouble, never, ever. Um, it just seemed that the town I was from, Tamworth, um, I was like the the famous one, you know, and this, that, and the other. And people will tell you that uh, people used to sort of badmouth you, jealousy, whatever, come what it was, and my mates say, well, you've never ever met him. So how can you say these things? He's this, he's that, he's that. You know, is that not a very English thing, especially yeah, in the it north is. Of We England. love to knock people down when we're, doing, yeah. when we're doing well, don't we? You know what I mean? So I was from this town, and I, I'd probably say that, um, I'm not being big-headed, but half the town who knew me, liked me, loved me, the other town who didn't, the other side didn't, blah, 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 always wanted to have a pop. And then when you're playing for Birmingham, and you've got half Birmingham, half Villa, a little bit of Wolves and West Brom thrown into the town as well. Um, people were there to, to have a go. Hence the title that um, <coughs> we came up with. Well, Tina Mullet come up with it, Simon's, Simon's wife. Um, once, you know, obviously being a goalkeeper, so that. 
But then the off the field, people coming and having a pop at me and I was there to be shot at, which, which is the title of the book. So, um, unfortunately, um, you know, I remember my dad's advice when I went to the big school. He said, don't run away, stand up to the bullies, this, that, and the other. And I've carried that all through my life. And, you know, um, Kenny Rogers sings about a song when you've got to walk away when you're a man, you know, turn the other cheek. I could never do that. Um, hence, uh, you know, I, I seem to get the better of people, and uh, then it, then your reputation got um, sort of around the town, and then it was doorman mainly that would always try and have a pop. So I was always fighting with doorman. So uh, there's not as many as as made out, but um, yeah, that's how it happened. And um, you know, but uh, Graham Taylor uh, took you out of that environment. He took me out Football of it. Became your focus. So from 1984, I've never ever. Never, I've never really had an argument. I've been in trouble. I've never had a parking fine or anything. I've been the model professional, and uh, I just needed to get away from that environment, really. And then your next move was to Manchester City for a million pound. You're the most expensive goalkeeper. I, I saw your home debut, not because I'm a blue. No, honestly, I'm not a blue. My GCSE geography project. I did it on the spear of influences of football teams in Greater Manchester, where they attract the fans from and I wrote a letter to every football league club in Manchester asking if I could come to a game and only two responded Oldham Athletic and Manchester City so I saw your debut it was, I saw a game it was QPR 1990 23,000 people there at Main Road is that a Monday, not, not the no, Monday night one no was it? it wasn't it wasn't the, the Sky Sports one it was a, it, it was very, very early on in your career, if not your debut. But uh... um, I think my debut for City was well. I know my City for debut. Uh, my, my debut for City was uh, away at Tottenham. Okay, yeah, it might be uh, your home or very yeah, early. And on. then uh, I think my next one was at home to Everton. Yes, yes, that was it. That we was won it. one nil. That was it. One nil. Yeah. Clive Allen. Uh, you've got a better memory than me. Yeah. Um, I'm normally very good with that, but yeah, um, yeah quite possibly actually. Um, you've got so. four seconds to talk about your time at Manchester City. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. And I know you you are held in great affection by by Blues. Tell me your low and high points in your time um, at Main Road. Oh, oh, I got I got a bad injury when I was at uh, at City, uh, which is cool. Really, I, I got the injury in the, I think it was the October, uh, where I'd ripped a muscle in a thigh that went into a blood clot, this, that and the other. By that time, um, I think it was, so I, I think I helped John Burridge uh, become the oldest, maybe that, the oldest yeah. player or the oldest yeah. goalkeeper. I don't, I don't know whether he's um, um, get that record because he he come on for me. Um, but I... Um, so consequently, I, I I got that, and then in that summer, Brian Orton was replaced by Alan Ball. Uh, so I worked all through the pre-season, played about 12, 15 reserve games, and um, it was a time of Franny Lee had taken over, and he made it clear that I wasn't welcome at the club. He told you? Yeah. Even though um, he wasn't the manager? Although he wasn't the manager, he acted like he was the manager, yeah. you know, which I didn't like, and obviously consequently I say say some things in the book which I mean yeah. which are the truth yeah. uh, I make no bones about that yeah. um, so that was the, the lowest point really was that injury 
Um, I didn't get back from uh, in a city shirt. Um, and I never had the chance really to say goodbye. I never ever wanted to leave, I've got to be honest. I never wanted to, be, to leave. Um, I loved it at Man City. Um, but, um, you know, football's football being what it is. Certain people in certain roles where they shouldn't have been. And um, I, was, um, I was pushed out the door along with others that followed. Um, senior pros, basically. Um, and it was no surprise to see City go the way they did. Um, anyway, was it a surprise to be pushed out the door to Manchester United? Massive, massive surprise um, to go there. And what people don't realise is when you tell when one person, your employees are telling you that you've got no future there, um, you know, and you know for a fact that they want the money to sign Nigel Clough. You know, I, I sort of I could hold them to ransom a little bit. You know, in terms of. They wanted me out, but they didn't want to pay me what they owed me on my contract. Uh, this, that, and the other. Typical city at the time, you know. Um, and um, and uh, I knew this, and but I generally didn't want to leave. And then um, and then all of a sudden, um, I'm moving house, and I'm driving over Barton Bridge, and um, I think car phones or mobile phones had just been introduced. This, that, and the other. And I was lucky enough to have one, and um, I was moving from South Manchester to Bolton, where my where my wife's from. Uh, regretted it ever since, but uh, <laughs> never mind. Um, but um, why? Just, uh, just I loved the house that I was in in yeah. South Manchester. I, I really where were loved it. I was in Bramall. Right. So uh, but I love listen Bolton people and this yeah, that yeah. really you know. In fact, just just as we're talking now, we're moving again out, out into the country. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but it, it, I just it got got a total total uh, call out of blue from Julie McCrindle, the manager's secretary, and said we've accepted a bid from um, from uh, Man United. You're free to go and speak to them. And I nearly went over the side of Barton Bridge, you know, and I what? Um, and I couldn't wait to get to the get to the, the house that we're moving into. And the removals were there and all that. I I'd set my wife to one side. And I said, "Just had a phone call from Man United." What? Now there'd been interest from Sunderland, um, and she said, "Look, I don't want to go to Sunderland. We, we're moving in, to, move, moving into this house." So everything sort of just dropped into place. I met Martin Edwards. I met Sir Alex. Uh, and as I say, Sir Alex, once you meet him, it was like when I signed for Watford with Graham Taylor. You're never ever coming away from there without signing. He knew what he wanted. And he he got knew what he wanted. wanted. He explained to me exactly what he wanted. Which was? Um, so it's 1996. It's January 1996. We're 12 points behind uh, Newcastle. Newcastle. The infamous Kevin Keegan rant season. Uh, and he said, listen, he said, I've got no, I want some experience uh, to keep Peter on his toes. You know, he's lost that little edge. He's missing training because he knows he's going to be playing. He says, I want to put an edge back to his game. He said, because, and I, I, I admit, you know, there's no one better than Peter around. Um, uh, although I got voted goalkeeper of the year a few times ahead of him, but um, for me, Peter was magnificent. What was his first reaction when you met him? Uh, he welcomed me. Yeah. You know, but he's a confident bloke yeah. and like bordering on arrogance yeah, really yeah, yeah. isn't it yeah. you know which which you need to play the position anyway yeah uh, and he was fine he was great with me great you know 
what he was saying behind my back, I don't know. But yeah. I don't think I don't think anything. I think what you see with Pete is what you get. Yeah. And uh, he was he was fine. We trained together, and um, you know, he, 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 anything I needed, any help, or explained how it worked. He he was great, and um, and um, I did really. I did what it said on the tin and what he bought me for. Um, I never played. Played for the reserves. That was another experience playing with the Beckham and Scholes and Nicky Butts and the Nevilles and people like that at times. Um, so you could see how good they were going to be. Um, but um, you know, I come in. Peter put an edge to his game, and slowly we clawed the the deficit back. And then the going to St James's Park and winning one 0 Eric's volley off Phil Neville's cross, and Peter really the difference between an heavy defeat and us winning 1-0 um, We had Martin Edwards in the latest United we stand mag and he picks that game out as, as a being, turning point yeah it just yeah. as like well, it, you, if he wouldn't have won said that would have been it yeah you, you know the, it was the, incredible I was there that night in the away end yeah and I, I stayed up in Newcastle and I saw Geordies fighting with each other afterwards over because they were coming apart weren't yeah. they including two Newcastle fans in wheelchairs squaring up to each oh. other down on the big market so that was a first. Going wheel to wheel then. Wheel to wheel they were. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it was a big, um, it was a big, uh, you know, sort of, uh, the biggest thing, the biggest thing for me was, and I, I remember it as clear as anything, after the cup final, after the Liverpool um, win, um, you know, was Sir Alex coming up to me at the hotel, the function after. We've won the double, which was, like an experience for me I've finally been part of something I didn't play so it didn't feel 100% but I was 90 odd percent of part of it you know because I hadn't played but he come up to me and he didn't have to do it and he pulled me to one side and he went I want to shake your hands he went now you might not have played he said but you don't know the part you've played and I thought that was great because he said you've done exactly what I bought you for he said He's been magnificent since you arrived. He says, and if you hadn't arrived, he said, because he'd been worried for his place. He said, so uh, you've kept him on his toes. He's not missed a day's training, and, and he's he's won us a double. And um, I thought that was magnificent. He said, um, he said, how do you feel? And I said, well, I've got to be honest. I said, I've had, I've had a, a right good look at this club. How you do things? Do you do things different in training? This that? And the other? No. Uh, what makes you successful? You got the better players. Everything was simple. It was, it was that simple. Uh, they had better players. And what was training had... like? Because I, I speak to, spoken to most of the players you played with, and they talk about how training was played at such an intense level. Uh, at times, at times when he demanded it, the manager, and then when when the, because they were involved in a lot of things, obviously cup that that year was the the, the cup. We got to the final, won the final. Um, Eric's goal. Eric's Prince goal. Liverpool. Yeah, the white, white suits. suits. Yeah. <laughs> Jinx. Um, what was Eric like? Um, well, you're, you're obviously asking me as a person, not as a player, because we all know what he was like as a player. But as a, as a person, he was quiet um, to the point where um, it was it was chalk and cheese with Eric. Off the field, he was a little bit introvert, very quiet used to sit on the bus and stare out the window or, or read, uh, you know, uh, 
certainly a, a, a team player socially he'd be, he'd be involved and he'd be there if there was you know a, a bit of team spirit needed and we'd go out for a drink or whatever Eric would be there uh, but come preparing for the game and in and around the training ground very sociable um, polite but a little bit introvert then come match day you know he was the extrovert when he come out and showed everybody what he was about you know he was magnificent um, so going back uh, the cup final the, the manager said that to me and I said look I said boss I haven't got many years left I think I need to I need to finish this career of mine I said I've missed a year more or less with the injury at Man City in the latter stages and then coming here I've missed almost a season I want to finish my career playing Zola had come into the Premier League Rude Hullet and Foreigners and I, I just wanted to to finish my career and he said go away on holiday enjoy it he says and uh, we'll discuss it when you come back and when I got back the answer machine was on TC said we've had some offers uh, you're free to speak to these people I've given them your number uh, obviously one was Peter Reid uh, the other one was Mark McGee at Wolves um, and I thought better the devil you know both were offering me the same terms both were offering me uh, a joint player coaching role um, whatever Sunderland off offered Mark McGee and Wolves matched but in the end I just thought better the devil you know in Peter Reid and I, I ended up going to Sunderland you would come back to Old Trafford as the goalkeeping coach yeah. for a decade, no? From yeah, it was '97. Um, yeah, I, I, I come, uh, I come really just before um, uh, the treble, really, um, and um, it was just a, it was just a, I'd seen, I, I was at Sunderland, and um, I'd had my broken leg, so I'd, that wanting to get back in, leaving Man United and wanting to get back playing didn't work out really because 10, ten games into my Sunderland career I ended up breaking my leg and had five fractures, this, that and the other and I couldn't get back from it. I was 36 years of age. So then um, uh, I took the reserves team, we won the league, this, that and the other. Then I had a contractual legal dispute with the club and I was put on gardening leave. And it was during that gardening leave, um, you know, I bumped into Sir Alex at a game. He said, what's your plans? I said, um, we've got, we got to move back. We want to move back to Manchester area, this, that and the other. He said, well, next time you're in the area, come and see me. We appreciate the support of our sponsors, which help keep this podcast free for you to enjoy. Uh, Harry's is a razor company it's based in the united states they've got over three million regular subscribers to their blades and they're offering united we stand listeners a trial set for only two pounds 95 it should be 11 pounds 50. if you go to harrys.com forward slash united you can train claim your trial set will be delivered to your door i've i've received one i've used it i liked it it's a decent shave the you get shaving gel it's all very nicely packaged and you get razors with five blades at a very decent price, especially compared with other five blade razors. And how they did that, Harry's bought a factory in Germany with over 100 years of blade making experience. 
and they thought that by controlling the entire blade making process and selling over the internet they could keep the cost down give you a high quality shave at a better price so if you go to harrys.com forward slash united and then for £2.95 you'll get a weighted ergonomic razor handle you get the, the blades the shave gel a travel blade cover as well and you can subscribe you can have them delivered to you as frequently or as infrequently as you like or you can just buy them outright if you want to do it I suggest you just try it see if you like it and, and take it from there I said I, I'm back tomorrow I said it like that I wasn't I just said I'm back tomorrow it's my mother-in-law's birthday we're down to see her come in and see me at the cliff uh, so I went straight in Blah, blah, blah. I've never had a full-time goalie coach, but I know how well you get on with people. You've been here, you've seen it. He went, um, it'd be something that I'm really interested in. That's the way it's going. Um, and I did. And I went in for a week, and Brian Kidd come and stood and watched my coaching. Dave Bushell come and watched it. Sir Alex come and watched it. This, that and the other. Uh, and, um, you know, fortunately for me, uh, I was accepted and... Um, that, that career path we uh, should get Dave Bushell on here because he's a great lad Dave he's, as well as being a long time stalwart at Manchester United he supports Trafford Football Club his local club but he's a, he's a real character I think he's 70 now yeah he's still I, I did a dinner with him earlier on this year jeez he's still there and I think, oh, I, think I think his daughter works at the she club she does Hayley yeah in some capacity he asked me to um, put him in touch with uh, Diego Forlan recently oh yeah, yeah. so that was um, Hayley who got, who got in touch from from United for that. So you worked with several goalkeepers and at United as a goalkeeping coach. You had the last bit of Peter before he went off to, to Lisbon. Yeah. Um, Small matter of winning the treble. Yes. Um, which was um, obviously an, an unbelievable experience. And people ask me, you know, what 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 stands out from that treble winning year? And I would probably say two two major things that stood out was um, so. We win the we win the we win the league with Coley. Um, was it the was the, yeah it was the yeah. league first then the FA Cup and then the Champions yeah. League wasn't it? Coley's goal against yeah, Tottenham. Where he's lobbed the keeper, yeah, he brought it down. Gary Neville's pass, I think it was. He's yeah. brought it down and jiggled about with it and then lobbed the keeper. Um, so we've won the league against um, Tottenham. And I remember Danny McGregor, who was the commercial manager, if you, you well know, um, walking into the changing rooms as we were celebrating it. Um, and uh, he's got a Man United shirt on. And as he's turned to walk out, he's got one down, two to go, written on the back of the shirt. And a couple of the players lo looked at it and went, like that. Like uh, what? As if that shouldn't. Yeah, you, 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 you're tempting fate. Yeah, type, type, type of things. But Danny believed that that's what was going to happen. So uh, we go to the FA Cup final, and we're in the change. We're in the changing rooms, and uh, he comes in after the cup final. And he's got a different one on. Two down want to go and the players are like no are they believing in it can, right. it, can it happen you know here we go is it mm, okay Danny you know blah 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 and then 
We win the Champions League in Barcelona. Blah, blah, blah. In he walks. All three. Job done. You know, so insight. Uh, what did the players do? You know, hindsight, sorry. Yeah. It, you know, with Danny and this, that and the other, you know. And we're, well, it was just amazing, wasn't it? You know, and going back to the hotel, which... Um, You'll know very well, living close by. I think was it on the Ramblers or is it St Stiggs, isn't it? Well, you stayed Uh the night before the game in Stiggs in the Melia Hotel, and then the night of the final, you went back to the Arts Hotel, which is down by the port. It's the big tower. Uh, I was also there sleeping rough in the car park. (laughs) I told Martin Edwards this. He said, "Why don't you just try and get in?" I said, I was just too polite. Yeah. I was with my mates, we'd had a great day. I wasn't working as a journalist. And um, slept rough, or, except one of my mates slept on the beach and got robbed. Oh. So, you know, never mind. But great party, you know? Yeah, great, great party. What part, did you think uh, when Teddy and Ollie scored? And I know you've played for different teams and you grew up as a Birmingham City fan. Do you, do you, do you get an affection for the clubs that you've been at? I'm sure you must have an affection for Manchester City, you oh, know? No, no, yeah, of course you do, 100%. It's like, like we're talking now, uh, and like like you said, we're in Burt's Services in the in the Costa Coffee, which is getting starting to get busy now. This is a life, this is yeah. your Alan Partridge. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nice office. Um, it's you raining. Yeah, like that, and as you, as you rightly say, I'm on my way up to Sunderland and Bristol City, and then tomorrow we've got the um, the Birmingham City. I'm going. Um, Aston Villa derby. Now I am a big, big Birmingham City fan. Growing up as a kid, but I worked for Aston Villa, and I want nothing more than an Aston Villa win to them. Okay. And so that yeah. that's what football does to you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. What you do is you give 100% for whoever you're working for. Yeah. And I want, I'm desperate for an Aston Villa win. Yeah. You know, because I work there and we all get. And you see the people every day and see you know the them. people and know what it means to them, this, that, and the other. Um, I'm not on my own, by the way. There's a few ex Birmingham City people being yeah. there, the manager being, yeah. being one of them. But um, that's what you do. So you always have an affection for the. For the for somewhere where, where you you've are, been yeah, and you yeah. always look for the results and you always take an interest in what's happening at that club because uh, there's some stalwarts still working at that club you know it, it, it gets people and you know it's their life and you know I mean look at Kath Phipps yeah how United long, on reception how long has she been at, at Man United 44 you know? years Kath you know so yeah. so it, that's how it affects people so she yeah. still thinks I should be able to play football just because my uncle Charlie played in the 1940s <laughs> every time I go and see her. You know, uh, get can't. a big sloppy kiss off her. She's great. Yeah. She's lovely and she gives me messages to pass on to former players. Are you seeing Gerard Piquet? Can you just give him this and gives me a note, you yeah. know? Can you get, ask him to get Lionel Messi's shirt for me? Um, like, you mentioned Lionel Messi's shirt. I went to see um, Berbatov recently and doesn't do m- many interviews. And... Uh, I needed a few players to set him up, set him up and say, you know, you can trust Andy. And Berbatov said to me, I'll only do it if you get me a signed Messi shirt. No footballer has ever asked me for anything like that before. I've got him a signed Messi shirt. He said, you get me that, I'll give you the best interview I've ever done. And there's been a massive reaction to it from... Yeah, uh, yeah it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Oh, very good, very good. We're getting distracted. Yeah, so, so, so Solskjaer's goal, it's the back of the net. Um, I just remember um, uh, just the, the sort of 
the shock of what's just happened in this blur of a minute you know of uh, one thing that you knew you knew that um, that ball would be in the danger area because it was Bex that was taking the corner so you knew the delivery would be right you know you knew that um, uh, there might be a chance that come from it Big Peter had gone up and this that and the other for for the um, for the first one you know when Teddy's he's caused a little bit of chaos and confusion in there uh, and this one he stayed back this that and the other uh, and it was just what has just gone on in this week I remember just prior to just prior to the um, uh, the equaliser of kicking a piece of paper on the floor and I started to think like a manager or like a coach and thinking we've done the two we've failed at the at the last one I wonder how I'll be interested to see what the manager says in his post-match press conference what is he starting to think what he's going to say now? Is he, you know, whatever? And I started, you know, and I, I was thinking like that, and I'm just looking at the bench, and, and then bang, bang, and oh my God, you know what I mean? It was just, you know, and I, I remember looking at, I think it was, how you pronounce, Cafu, Cafu? Yeah, Sammy Cafu. Um, lying on the floor in tears and it wasn't the refs trying to pull him up you know gone uh, he? He, he completely gone and all this because they knew the time they knew that, that they weren't going to come back for this and you know so um, so it, it, that was all those emotions of just three then we had the obviously the function of you just said and then the second thing that stands out from that was the open top bus coming back to Manchester was absolutely incredible. The hairs on my neck are sticking up now just thinking of it. I mean, um, just turning into Deansgate was was just unbelievable. As far as you could see, you could just see bodies, heads, hanging off buildings, up lampposts. Any vantage point a fan could get was, was there. And just how long it took us. The police had estimated a, a time for us to get there get to the um, Manchester Arena and then um, so we were we were free to really depart from the arena you know and organise your way from there and uh, I think we were well 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 behind schedule because just the masses of crowds so from, so from that point of view they, they're the two things that really stick out was the emotion of the, the actual final and then the homecoming was uh, was really really unbelievable last seven or eight minutes now after Peter left to join uh, Sporting Club Manchester United didn't really have a settled goalkeeper no lots of mon- big money was spent on, on Fabian Bartes yeah. um, Mark Bosnich played uh, Tim Howard it wasn't really until Edwin van der Sar came who you recommended yeah because you got a little tip off at Fulham didn't you and, and yeah. you explain that in the book in great detail and it's very interesting and, and worth reading why do you think um, so many players struggled I can remember vividly going players into goalkeepers. goalkeepers going to interview Ray van der Howe maybe 2001 
and, and into Carrington and, and saying, should we sit down and do it here? And he looked at Mark Bosnich and said, I'm not doing it in view of him. I thought, that is a relationship that has completely broken down it. I don't think Bosie had a relationship with anyone. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I, reading between the lines, Fabian Bartes wasn't the most popular person at the club either. Uh, but, but I might be wrong there. But. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, you might have heard that from different... Yeah. Like, I can only... It was speak, good with you. Yeah, I can only speak from uh, my me personally with my relationship with the various goalkeepers that I work with. Um, and like you say, uh, in the book, I talk about approaching Sir Alex and saying, "Listen, there's goalkeepers coming in here. You know, Massimo, you be Ricardo Lopez, uh, Roy Carroll. Yeah, um, I mean, that's for I've not even know, mentioned. You know, p- people that were coming in. Um, I saw Massimo I last no, year at Modena. He was working on the Crespo. He's a lovely man. Yeah, lovely man. You know, uh, they were coming into the club, and I hadn't had a say in. You know, and I, and I, I turned around and I said, "Look, boss, I'm." When I'm out socially, people are coming up to me, United fans are coming up, really having a go about the standard of the goalkeepers. Now, this is not an attic job on any of those goalkeepers. What I wanted to say to the manager, and which I eventually did, was if you bring in a goalkeeper, let me do the scouting on the goalkeeper, let me, let me recommend the goalkeeper, and, um, and then I, I can be accountable for it. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll pay the consequences, whatever. And he just turned around to me and he, he thought for a moment. He said, do you want a TC? Right. It's all yours. Fetches a goalkeeper. So, initially I'd, I'd bought Tim Howard over. Um, but Tim was really coming over to be number two um, to nurture and to, to bring through to eventually be number one. But he'd done that well in that pre-season, in the first pre-season in, in, in America, yeah. that the manager started him and... and you know, um, United tried to sign Van der Sar. Few well times, yeah, yeah, a few times, yeah, few times. Uh, when he went to Juventus, yeah, it, didn't, it didn't, didn't, uh, it didn't happen. This, that, and the other. So I was aware of Edwin, and I know, and I was aware of, um, the, you know, sort of us, us training before. What I did feel was um, when Edwin was at Fulham. And whenever we'd played them or I'd watched Fulham or whatever, I thought Edwin, a bit like what the manager said in 96 with Peter, I thought there's no edge to his game a little bit. He's, you know, and there's goals going in and I'm thinking, yeah, a goalkeeper of your standard, Edwin, should be really, really saving that. But he didn't. Um, but we knew what it was about. And it was just a chance meeting after the game. Goalie coach said to me, uh, I asked him about him like I did with every goalie coach around the country. What's he like to work with? Getting as much information as he can. Is he, you know, is he punctual? Is he this? Is he, um, you know, does he do the work? Does he? Do... And he said to me, look, this is he's really fit. He insists on working. He'll only have a day off when everybody else has a day off. Uh, this, that, and the other. Blah blah blah. And I just thought at that time he was he had the credentials. He had the mental capacity to cope with. Uh, Man United from where he'd been before uh, it didn't work out for him at Juventus but he, you know he was an international goalkeeper he'd been in Champions League finals early in his career this that and the other and I thought he was the, the one out of everyone that would be out of cope one filling Peter's uh, gloves uh, and and being involved at a big club with a big big club mentality uh, that needed to win trophies every year 
Um, and so we got back on the on the on the train back to Manchester. And I said to the manager, I said, "Listen, there's a clause in his contract. You can get him for this. Uh, I think he's the one." The manager said, "Look," he said, Have you "He's 35." I said, "Gaffer," I said, "He's fit as anything." I said, "You signed me when I was 35." I said, "I was nowhere near as fit as him." I said, "And uh, I said mentally, he's strong, distribution, this, that, and the other." And um, I got a phone call, I was on holiday, I always remember, I was riding the bikes <coughs> with the kids, and he just rang me up and he said, uh, right, I've taken your advice, he said, you'll be working with Edwin Van Sayer next season. And that's as simple as it was, and I put the phone down, so right, that was it. I think United fans would like to thank you for that, because <coughs> he was brilliant. <coughs> Moving on now and finally, what do you make of David De Gea as a goalkeeper? What does he do well? <coughs> Where does he need to improve? Do you know what he does well? And, and I say that I'm... I, I, make no bones about this my hero growing up was a goalkeeper called Pat Jennings yeah okay now Pat Jennings simplified goalkeeping he wouldn't make things look spectacular or whatever but the one thing that Pat Jennings did he saved shots with his feet he stood up big and it's about keeping the ball out of his net and some of the saves I've seen uh, David save this season alone let alone the, the previous seasons uh, with his feet, his reactions. Um, at the moment, and, I'm, uh, and I say this wholeheartedly, he's the best in the world. Certainly. You know? Better I, than... I know you're going to say, probably say Manuel Neuer yeah, right? or yeah. whatever. Well, he's in bed at the moment, yeah, nursing yeah. a broken ankle yeah. or a, an ankle limit. Thing. Yeah. So he's not playing. Yeah. Uh, but he's certainly, he's certain, when he's on it, he's... A, he's, he's and man, he's on it this man, season. Yeah. You know, there's no one better. Um, what else you know, is there? Is distribution. I remember speaking to Eric Steele and he yeah, says, "Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the big things that they spotted in him early as yeah, a kid when he was playing for for Spain's under 17s Yeah, um, great with his feet. I mean, um, the what game was it? Uh, well, it's Huddersfield last week. Although we lost the game. Um, you know, he's killed one out of the air, then he's flicked it over the centre forward, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that, that's if Messi or Ronaldo would have done that, everybody had been raving about it. But um, that's the calmness and the the confidence he's got in his own ability at this moment in time. You know, he's he's um, he's uh, as I say, he's the he's the best in the Premier League by a mile. Uh, and I would say, at the moment, he's the best in the world. And Manchester doubt. United also have Argentina's first-choice goalkeeper, Sergio Romero. Yeah. Would he be competent for most Premier League teams? Um, yes. Uh, I saw him, actually, on Tuesday night. I was down at Swansea. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's the first time I've really seen him uh, close up. Um, he's a different keeper to David, you know. Um he, Why? He, what he would, what type of keeper is he? Well, he's, he, he, if you see him, um, he's, I don't think he's as quick as Rand uh, with David. He's not, he's not as good with his feet as... as this is not knocking him. Um, it's just the, yeah. the high level of performance... Compared to the best in the to world. The, to yeah. the best in the world. Um, and like you say, going back to your original uh, question, is he more than capable of playing in most Premier League teams? Yeah, he's a, listen, he's a more than capable understudy to... Uh, to David, um, you know you've got you've got two two good goalkeepers there, um, but he, he, at the moment he's the best in the world. 
David and um, I would probably say high praise to Eric Steele as I went and got Edwin at the end of his career uh, and he proved to be a, a massive, massive hit for Man United and Eric Steele must get credit for going and getting David De Gea at the start of his career really uh, although he was in the Atletico Madrid uh, team at a very early age Eric saw something in him to say he's going to be Man United's goalkeeper for a very long time and he's been proven right he called it right didn't he and yeah. he's, uh, I think Eric's now back over living near Derby yeah, I'd speak to him on a regular basis, obviously, because I, I recommended Eric yeah. for my job when yeah. I had to quit with my knee. Um, so we speak on a regular basis. He's back working for the FA. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, St George's Park. Yeah. You know, and, um, and Rennie's Rennie Moolenstein, who was there, he's going to India now with Berbatov and Wes Brown. So it's uh, a lot of them players who and coaches are at Manchester United. They're still around, but that great team's been. Been dismantled. We've both got games to go to. Um, your book. Is Yours well is a lot nearer it. than mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, tomorrow I'm going. I'm travelling all around England. I'm going to the Birmingham derby and then Leicester against Everton and then I'm at Burnley on, oh. on Monday. There to be shot at. Published by Dick Corbettain. Do you know how to pronounce it? it? Go Dick Corbettain. <laughs> Some brilliant um, stories there. Um, I, I do thank you for your time and wish you all the best for for the future. Hopefully. Get Aston Villa back into the Premier League. Villa Park was a, an away game that a lot of United fans love, not just because it was the venue of so won. many. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the semi-final memories as well. Great, but great Birmingham's a great there. city, and Villa Park's a great stadium. So, yeah, all the I best, agree. Tony. Thank you very much, Andy, and uh, go out and get the ball. So that's it from this podcast. It's International Weekend, so we won't be doing another podcast until. Old Trafford next week. I'll be there for the Newcastle United home game. We will have a new United We stand out for that game as well. We're working on it at the moment. There's loads of decent material in there. I guarantee that when you read it, you'll find new things out about Manchester United. 44 pages. We've held the price for nine years now. And if you want to subscribe, if you're outside the UK, there's probably never been a cheaper time to do it, especially with the weak pound. Go to our website, uwsonline.com. You can subscribe to the digital edition, which works out slightly cheaper, and you don't have to pay postage on that. Or you can get a printed edition. We've got subscribers now in 37 countries, I think, and we will be sending the mags out to you next Saturday as soon as we get them from the printers in Manchester. So watch out for the next issue of the fanzine, and we'll be joining you again after the Newcastle United home game for the next edition of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Tony. Until next time, goodbye.